I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. And in chapter 16, we'll read from verse 1 to verse 15. And keep in mind the things that we've read in chapter 14, and there are many things in chapter 15 that apply to our series on understanding the work and the person person and work of the Holy Spirit. Children, here are your questions. First, who did Jesus promise would come after he went up to heaven? Two, how would the one who was sent help the apostles? And three, how will he glorify, how will he glorify, I'm sorry, I think it's supposed to be, who will he glorify? My bad. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because, of I, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There ends reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God, once again, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And we thank you for the precious truths contained in these chapters. And as we sort through these wonderful things that Jesus spoke to the disciples, we ask that you would give us clearer understanding of how you work, who you are, and especially in understanding the glorious third person, the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to understand more fully. And we pray even now that through the inspiration of the Word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that you would help both the preacher and the hearer as we come to the preaching of your Word. And we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as Jesus often did, he's preparing the disciples for what is still to come, what lies ahead. Uh, now he will show them what lies even beyond the resurrection. I'm sure that they were still, and I know that they were still unsure that all it meant. He had told them that he was going to suffer and die. He told them that he was going to be crucified. He was very specific. He also told them that he was going to rise up from the dead. And now he's telling them he's going to ascend into heaven and that eventually he'll return. And he's preparing them for that ascension and then he's preparing them for that time when he'll pour out the Holy Spirit on the church at Pentecost. And so here we're entering into that before any of those things had taken place because Jesus wants to make sure the disciples are prepared for it. He gives a very specific reason in chapter 16, verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Things are going to get very intense for the disciples. Some of them will die. The apostles will all die except for John. And so they have to be prepared for what's coming, but they also have to be prepared for the ministry that they're called to do. They have to be equipped and ready to do what they're called to do in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And again, they're still perplexed about many things, and now they have to be confused still when Jesus said that he's going away, but that he's coming back. But again, Jesus is making sure that they're prepared. What Jesus is about to say lets them know that what's going to happen once he leaves is going to have a profound effect on them. In fact, what has a profound effect on them, that is, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, has a profound impact on the church throughout the ages, instrumental in the ongoing ministry of the church, but the very life of the church. But there are things that are instrumental in the life of every single believer. The things that Jesus tells the disciples about the Holy Spirit and his work have impacted you, have impacted me. And so as we examine these things, we have to recognize that there is an importance of understanding the place and time, the work of the Spirit, and that continued work through history. But we have to understand this is also very personal. Jesus says to them that he's going away. And when he goes, he will ask for a gift from the Father. The Greek here is the word paraclete, and that, that means a helper, sometimes translated an advocate or a comforter, an intercessor someone alongside of the people to be with them and to encourage them and to strengthen them. And Jesus is essentially saying, I have been that to you up until this point. I have been that comforter. I have been that advocate. But now I'm leaving and there's going to be another one who takes that place that is the advocate. He is the Holy Spirit. When the church does what it's supposed to do in trusting in the Lord and believing what the Lord has to say and obeying the Lord, he sends that kind of blessing. Someone pointed out to me that, that this is actually an, a fulfillment, this idea of if you obey me, keep my commands and I will send you another comforter is really not a new message. It goes back to Ezekiel 36 where the prophet is 
giving these, wor- giving these words, I will put my spirit within you, speaking on behalf of God, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is a fulfillment of that. Now, if we were to survey all three of the chapters that I mentioned, 14, 15, and 16, we would see that there are a number of things that the Holy Spirit does. A number of ministries that the Holy Spirit has. We see that he is the spirit of truth, that he's the spirit of adoption, that he's the spirit of peace, that he is a spirit that empowers. And those last three we'll see as we move forward in our series, but tonight the focus is on the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. We're focusing on the truth. Some of the irony is the very word that we're reading is the breath of the Holy Spirit. All scripture is God-breathed. And so here we are reading that which the Holy Spirit has given to us, and we're relying on the current ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us to see. And here we are looking at these chapters in the gospel. Jesus, in our passage, says, when he leaves, the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes, the work of the advancement of the kingdom of Christ will begin in earnest in a new way. Once salvation is achieved by Jesus Christ, now the application comes through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a new and phenomenal way. The Holy Spirit now comes to God's people in a new and more permanent way, in a more evident way, in the transformation of lives that that are now claimed clearly for Christ. It's a new dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit has been working from before the beginning. But here's this new dimension in taking the work of Christ and applying that to sinful souls. The first thing that we can notice is that he will bring the presence of Christ. I offer three things, reminding you that major element of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to draw attention to the person of Jesus Christ. And so, first of all, the presence of Christ, the power of Christ, and the preaching of Christ. First of all, the presence of Christ. Jesus makes a statement that seems apparently contradictory. I am going away, but I'm going to be with you. How does that work? Well, we understand that through the sending of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is spiritually present with us, even though he's bodily in heaven. We often like to say, Jesus is with me, and that's a right thing to say. But how is he with you? He doesn't walk in the garden alone with you while the dew is still on the roses. He just doesn't physically walk with you in the garden. But he is with you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, ever-present Jesus Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism helps us with this, and I want to read a couple of questions and answers. I want to remind us that that catechisms are not meant to explain away mysteries of Scripture. Good biblical catechisms are written so that biblical truths are laid out in an understandable way, and so there's nothing novel being said here. But listen to these questions and answers with regard to Christ's ascension and then the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. These are questions 46 to 49. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. 
Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he's promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he's no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separate from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all. For his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united to it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. The presence of Christ with us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the power of Christ. When the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're empowered to do signs and things that are to point to Christ. When you open up the book of Acts, it starts by saying, these are the continued works. This is what Jesus continued to do. He continues to do it through the, the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit. So the work of the ministry continues testified to whenever there's a healing, for instance. By the power of Jesus Christ, we made this man well. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so the apostles always credit the work of the Holy Spirit through them to the Lord Jesus Christ, continually pointing to Christ. And not only that, the resurrection power of Christ is exerted in every single conversion that you see as you work your way through Acts. Whether it's one individual or 3,000 or 5,000 at a time, it's the work of the Holy Spirit bringing dead souls to life. Power of the Holy Spirit. And then the preaching of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them that they would be his witnesses. And now, as we jump ahead again to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you have these once confused, cowardly men, now clear-minded and courageous, preaching the gospel without fear. Thoroughly convinced of the truths of Jesus Christ, in other words, they couldn't preach without such conviction, but now it's clear. Everything has come together. And through their preaching, the truth goes forth. It shouldn't surprise us at all that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Truth is supreme. Gospel truth is the only thing that can set sinners free. One of the most misapplied passages in scripture is Jesus. When he says to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's talking about being set free from the burden and bondage of sin. That's what the message of the gospel is. That's the truth 
that the Holy Spirit is conveying through anyone who faithfully preaches or teaches or witnesses to the word. That Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that in believing in him, you will have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel preached. That's the gospel that's empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, first, those truths had to be unsealed to the apostles. Remember how murky things were for them. As you walk with the apostles and the disciples through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's often confusion. They're slow to understand. There's things that just don't come together. But now we're told that these things will be revealed. Chapter 16, verse 13 to 15, read that again. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is going to make things clear. The Holy Spirit will help to bring the whole gospel together. And allow them to make all the connections that they need to make when they go to bring this gospel to the world that so desperately needs to be saved. But they have to be illuminated first. So the truth is unsealed and then the truth is expressed. They go out and start preaching the gospel. The full package deal of the gospel is preached. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Word isn't in a vacuum. It takes people filled with the Holy Spirit to bring that Word. And when preachers and teachers and anyone who shares the gospel are faithful, the power of that Word goes forth. And when the Holy Spirit attends the teaching and preaching and instruction of the Word, that's when the Holy Spirit anoints those attempts and penetrates the hearts of individuals. Can't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. The most eloquent, the most powerful preacher cannot penetrate a heart deep enough to convert a soul on simple truth. It's the Word and the Spirit. Well, when that Word is preached, the truth is impressed upon hearts. The power of the Word preached taught and testified. Simple expressions of the gospel message attended by the work of the Holy Spirit has an impact. Jesus speaks of three particular things, three particular works of the Spirit when it comes to impacting hearts. If you want to look back at verse 9 in chapter 16, he delineates three things and then he explains them. Beginning in verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they did not, do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Threefold conviction. First, concerning sin. 
If anyone's going to see their need for the Savior, they're going to need to see their sin. They're going to need to understand what sin is. They're going to need to understand that sin is an offense to God. And so through the Word and through the Spirit, there's that declarative guilt that man is dead in his trespasses and sins. And that he's accountable to God for those sins. But it's not only declarative, it's also impressing guilt. Purposely touching hearts, convicting of sins, convicting especially of unbelief. Our fundamental problem is unbelief. And the Holy Spirit impresses upon the heart that sin of unbelief. And he's the only one who can truly open eyes so that sinners who are blind by sin can see and believe bringing that godly sorrow, that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Concerning righteousness, Jesus has gone to be with the Father. The very fact that he died, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of glory confirms that Jesus Christ is the righteous one, confirmed in his victory. And showing, in fact, that he's the only one who is thoroughly righteous, which says to the sinner, I need righteousness in order to be with the Father. We're pointed to Jesus Christ by the Word and the Spirit to see that in our lack of righteousness, that true righteousness can be found only in Christ, in the victorious reigning Christ. And that his righteousness is imputed or put upon sinners like us so that we can be standing before a holy God without being consumed for our sin. Concerning judgment. Concerning judgment. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? It's fulfillment of that promise made way back in Genesis that the serpent's head would be crushed by the Savior that would come. And it's taken place that that the evil one, the evil one has been crushed. He's been judged to be powerless in holding sinners who believe in his grip any longer. He's been judged for who he is. He's been exposed for who he is. And one day he'll be finally judged to that final damnation forever cast into the abyss. And that truth is a warning to all unbelievers that anyone who is a part of that kingdom of darkness will go down with him. Will go down with him. But this conviction concerning sin and righteousness and judgment is a part of that work that's effective towards salvation. That's what the gospel going out through the power of the Holy Spirit is all about. But many people resist. That sounds odd to us because we believe in irresistible grace. We believe that if God puts his mark on you and he's calling you to himself that you can't resist, run as you might, he is going to pursue you and bring him to yourself, to himself. But 
But that doesn't mean that man is not responsible for resisting and unbelieving. When Stephen is preaching to the priests, he says these very words. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. The very face of the preaching of the gospel resisting the Holy Spirit by hardening their hearts. But on a positive note, it's the gospel of salvation. I want to read to you a little passage. No, I don't because I forgot my book. I want to read to you a little excerpt, if you will bear with me, from a man named Octavius Winslow. Sometimes I think I just like to say his name. Octavius Winslow, a book called The Work of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the coldness of the absence of the Holy Spirit, but the warmth of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where he is honored and adoring thoughts of his person and tender loving views of his work are cherished, then are experienced in an enlarged degree his quickening, enlightening, sanctifying, and comforting influences. On the contrary, where he is robbed of his glory, dishonored and denied, all is darkness and desolation. Presenting the dreariness and barrenness of winter, the very coldness and torpor of death. Come, eternal and blessed spirit, impart to our minds life, light, and unction while investigating thy (coughs) all-important all-important and glorious work. Give to him that writes, and to those who read the words of this book, the anointing that teaches all things. The blessing shall be ours, thine the honor and the praise. Where the Holy Spirit, for lack of a better word, is welcomed and worshipped and appreciated. The power of salvation is present effective unto salvation, transforming lives. Read John 3 when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. People must be born of the Spirit. Read what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 about the necessity of the Spirit for salvation, that you need the Spirit to have Christ. And if you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, absolutely essential in the work of salvation. And so for tonight, this spirit of truth working, transforming lives, taking dead souls and bringing them to life. People, if you're looking for evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in once dead sinners, look around this room. Because if you're alive in Christ, it's only because the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart and warmed you to the gospel and has given you the gift of faith and belief so that you might be saved and you know that there's no other way than through the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say that he has led you in all truth and you've seen Jesus for who he is. You've seen your sin for what it is, but you've seen the Savior for who he is and you know him as Savior and Lord. You've been given salvation. You've been given power for living, and you've been given power for witness. 
Is there anyone in this room who doesn't want to be a witness for Jesus Christ? Is there anyone in this room who doesn't feel inadequate for the task? People, you have the truth, you have the simple gospel. And you can tell it to people. But you can't save anybody. But you can believe that the Holy Spirit will work when his word is presented. And so you have power for witness. We don't have the signs and wonders meant for the early church that the apostles had, but our witness is attended by the Holy Spirit when we're faithful and true. Well, finally, Jesus has ascended, but we are not forsaken. He sent his Holy Spirit, and he dwells with us, and the Holy Spirit is in us. And so may we find comfort in these words and may you have confidence in the Christ who is your salvation and the indwelling Holy Spirit that you will not, you will not fall away. As Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Whatever comes to pass, Jesus is with you and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. You have nothing to fear. He's going to bring to completion what he started in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your saving grace. We know that none of it would be possible without the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, nor would it be possible without the pouring out of your Holy Spirit, applying the merits of our Savior Jesus Christ to our sinful souls. So we praise you tonight. We give you all the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.